Hi friends, Justin Hibbert here. Can I ask a huge favor? If you're blessed by this podcast, if you've learned something from it, if this has been helpful to you, would you do me a huge favor and buy me a cup of coffee? Okay, don't really buy me a cup of coffee, but pretend like every month you're taking me out for a cup of coffee. How do you do this? You become a patron. It's just $5 a month to become a patron. It's the cost of a cup of coffee. It's all I'm asking. If you could be so generous in doing that, it will go a long way in supporting me, this podcast, and some big plans I have for Why Catholic. All you need to do is go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Thank you for your help. God bless you. Growing up, I loved trick-or-treating. In fact, I did it every year all the way until I was a senior in high school. Coming from the Baptist tradition, my pastor would preach an annual sermon on the evils of celebrating Halloween, but I largely ignored it because, well, candy. Not just candy, but a pillowcase full of candy, which I devour throughout the month of November. My wife, who grew up in the same Baptist tradition, was not allowed to celebrate Halloween. Uh, This is fairly common in many Protestant circles where they see Halloween as having pagan roots. When we had our first child, we discussed whether or not we were going to allow our kids to trick-or-treat. For me, I loved trick-or-treating. It wasn't just about the candy. It was a day when you got to interact with neighbors that you normally never talked to. My wife did some research on the Catholic roots of Halloween and decided that if we were going to allow our kids to trick-or-treat, we were going to be intentional about injecting some Christian meaning into it. We decided that after every house we visited, we'd have our kids say a blessing by saying, God bless this house. And so that's what they did. Imagine this cute little kid dressed up in a lion outfit saying, God bless this house. This brought a whole new layer of Halloween to our family. It wasn't just about candy. It wasn't about spooky ghosts and witches. It wasn't about just being neighborly. It was a prayer walk where we intentionally prayed a blessing on each home. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. Every month or so, I like to do a special episode where I highlight a particular saint or important day in the liturgical calendar. Seeing that we're approaching the end of October, I want to focus on the triduum, meaning three days that make up all Hallowtide, Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day. To understand Halloween and All Souls Day, it's best to start with the day that falls in between them. All Saints Day. All Saints Day is a solemnity in the Catholic liturgical calendar, meaning that it's a holy day of obligation. A holy day of obligation means that Catholics are expected to attend Mass if they are capable. By the way, we're going to talk about that phrase, holy day of obligation, in an upcoming episode. As you're probably aware, Catholics have a practice of honoring saints. A saint is someone who the church has declared is in heaven in the presence of God. There's a whole process for declaring someone a saint. It's called canonization, which we'll get to in a future episode as well. When someone is declared to be a saint, they're given a day in which the church honors them. It might be the day they were born or the day they died or another significant day in their life. Now, obviously, there's way more than 365 canonized saints, so on any particular day, you'll find that there are a number of saints that are honored. I've put a link in the show notes to a list of saints and their corresponding feast days. By the way, the church shuffles through the list of saints and chooses a particular saint to honor on any particular day of any particular year. Now, one of the misconceptions about this practice is that only saints that have been officially canonized are in heaven. This isn't accurate. The Catholic Church doesn't assume to know a fraction of all the people that are actually in heaven. And for this reason, we have a day set aside to honor 
all the saints in heaven, especially the ones that the church hasn't formally canonized. This is called All Saints Day. If you haven't listened to episode 52 and 53, you may want to do that. In episode 52, I talked about the communion of saints, this idea that the church isn't just made up of people who are alive on earth, but the church is a universal entity. Hence, we're in communion with Christians beyond our limitations of time and space. Since we are in communion with those in heaven, we can ask them to intercede on our behalf, just as we would ask a faithful Christian friend on earth to pray for us. This is called praying to the saints. All Saints Day, which is celebrated on November 1st, was originally celebrated on May 13th when it was started by Pope Boniface IV in 609, when he dedicated the Parthenon to Mary and all the martyrs. A hundred years later or so, in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III established All Saints Day as a holy day, changing the celebration to November 1st and dedicating it to the saints and their relics. A couple hundred years later, a Benedictine abbot named Odilo declared November 2nd to be All Souls Day. All Souls Day is the day set aside to remember and pray for the souls in purgatory. If you'd like to learn more about the Catholic doctrine of purgatory and praying for the dead, check out episode 46 called Every Christian Believes in Purgatory. Also check out episode 57, which is called Praying for the Dead. Just as a quick recap, the Catholic Church believes that when Christians die in a state of grace, but still need to be purified prior to entering heaven, they go through a process of purification, which the Catholic Church calls purgatory. Now, there's lots of folklore about purgatory. However, most of it is merely speculation. The Catholic Church doesn't claim to know what all purgatory entails or how long it lasts. We merely echo the claims of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 13, that God will judge our works with fire, though we eventually will be saved and enter heaven. Thus, we pray for the souls in purgatory because they are undergoing what I like to refer to as a spiritual detox, shedding away their unholy addictions in preparation for their new life in heaven. We see this idea of praying for the dead most clearly in 2 Maccabees 12, where Judas Maccabees prays for fallen soldiers, asking God to have mercy on their souls and usher them into eternal life in heaven. It's common for parishes to have a book called an All Souls Book or Remembrance Book with names of parishioners' loved ones who have died in the past year. This is a way to remember them, honor them, and petition God to have mercy on their souls. So now that we've covered All Saints Day and All Souls Day, let's talk about Halloween. Let's start with the name. All Saints Day is also referred to as All Hallows Day. Now, whenever there's a holy day of obligation, whether a solemnity or the weekly Sunday, parishes not only hold masses on the actual holy day, but they also hold a vigil mass on the evening before the holy day. Going to the vigil mass meets one's requirement for attending the holy day of obligation. For example, instead of going to mass on Christmas day, many go on Christmas Eve. The same is true with All Saints or All Hallows Day, and the vigil mass prior to All Hallows Day is All Hallows Eve. And you can can probably hear how the name All Hallows Eve morphed into our anglicized word Halloween. So what's the deal with dressing up for Halloween and going around trick-or-treating? Well, this is mainly a practice in Anglosphere countries or English-speaking countries, but the practice has also spread to Mexico. Our cultural practices of Halloween actually come from a mixture of traditions. In Ireland, people thought, wait, we have a day to celebrate saints in heaven and souls in purgatory. What about the souls in hell? They were concerned that the souls in hell would feel left out and begin to cause trouble. Thus, Halloween became known as All Damned Day, where people went around banging pots and pans to let the souls in hell know that they weren't forgotten. 
As you might imagine, the clergy weren't particularly sympathetic to this tradition, and so honoring the souls in hell never gained really any traction. The practice of dressing up for Halloween has its origins in France during the 14th and 15th centuries. When the bubonic plague wiped out one-third to one-half of the population of Europe, it was difficult to ignore the real prospect of death. There were many masses said on All Souls Day for all of the souls that had died, and people incorporated artistic representations called the Dance of Death, where they dressed up like they were dead as a reminder of their own mortality. The tradition of trick-or-treating appears to have a couple of origins. First, beginning in the medieval ages, people would make these round shortbread biscuits called soul cakes or soul mass cakes. Individuals known as solars, consisting mainly of children and the poor, would go around and ask for soul cakes and in turn would offer to pray for a loved one who had died. You might think of this as a type of indulgence, which I talked about in episode 56. There were, in a sense, two acts of charity for the benefit of the souls in purgatory, the giving of soul cakes to children and the poor, and the praying for the souls in purgatory. The other origin of trick-or-treating comes from England. During the 1500s to 1700s, the Catholics had no rights in England. It was a capital offense to say mass, and tens of thousands of Catholics were martyred. In 1605, a group of Catholics plotted to assassinate the Protestant king, James I, and blow up Parliament. However, the plot was foiled thanks to a reckless convert named Guy Fawkes, who was subsequently hanged to death on November the 5th, 1605. In the aftermath of the unsuccessful coup, English Protestants would troll the Catholics on Guy Fawkes Day by visiting their homes in the dead of night and demanding beer and cakes for their Guy Fawkes celebration while yelling, Trick or treat! November 5th is still celebrated as Guy Fawkes Day in Great Britain. All of these different customs fused together in the American colonies as it became a melting pot of Irish, English, and French immigrants. Now that we know a bit more about the three days that make up All Hollow Tide, let me make two comments. First, as I mentioned earlier, it's common for some Protestants to avoid Halloween, associating with some sort of pagan ritual. There are some, albeit a small minority, that go as far as to say that Christmas and Easter shouldn't even be celebrated as Christian holidays because they have pagan origins. I've mentioned in previous episodes how I grew up as a Seventh-day Baptist. What I was taught was that Constantine officially changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday to coincide with the worship of the sun god. A, that's just not true, and B, I think it's tempting for Protestants to delve into these conspiracy theories in order to discredit the Catholic faith. If there was a motivation to choose a pagan holiday to correlate with a Christian holiday, it wasn't to fuse Christianity with paganism, but rather to redeem a pagan holiday by reorienting its significance to Christian ideas. Consider how in Acts 17, St. Paul used the statue to the unknown God in Athens as a frame of reference to preach Christianity. Or consider how St. John incorporates the Greek philosophy of the Logos to describe Jesus. So I don't buy this notion that we shouldn't celebrate certain Christian holy days because maybe at some point, in some time, in some foreign culture, the same date was used for some pagan ritual. I'm a redemptionist after all, and I can think of nothing more Christian than taking something that once was pagan and reorienting and redeeming it to Jesus. After all, isn't that what Jesus does in all of our lives? Secondly, I want to talk about this idea of focusing on death. 
Our next series is going to be on Catholic ethos or ideas that flow out of Catholic theology. One such ethos is an emphasis on remembering your death. That may seem morbid, but it's really about considering your finite life, that at any moment you may die. Are you prepared for death? Are you living every moment like it's your last? Or are you living frivolously thinking that you have plenty of time before you need to take life seriously? All Hallowtide is not only a season where we remember those who are deceased and have entered the afterlife, but in remembering them, it's meant to draw us into introspection of our own mortality. Are we ready for our own death? Have we been preparing for it? I was watching an episode of The Journey Home, which I included in the show notes. It's an interview with an evangelical convert to Catholicism named Andrea Garrett. In the interview, she retells how her husband, Bill, received a stage 4 terminal cancer diagnosis. They made the decision not to try and intervene with something evasive like surgery, but to simply live out the rest of his days. His wife, Andrea, invited friends over who talked with her husband, Bill, prayed with him, read scripture to him. Their priest even came over to give him last rites. Two days before he died, Bill told his wife, Andrea, I never would have thought that dying would be so peaceful and pleasant. Instead of fighting his death, he prepared himself and those around him for the next stage of his life. He completely yielded to the Holy Spirit and slipped from this life to the next. In the show, she refers to it as a happy death. A happy death is one that you prepared for. And even though death can come suddenly, tragically, and sadly, what makes it joyful is that you have lived a life anticipating that this life will end and preparing for eternal life in heaven. Instead of living with a shallow mindset that everything is about this life, you purposefully live knowing that everything you do on earth is in preparation for the life to come. Let me end with this. Catholics have a prayer that we say for someone who has died. It's called the Requiem Prayer. Requiem was traditionally a mass for someone who had passed away. I'm going to first say this prayer in Latin and then in English. If you know it, feel free to pray along. If you don't, feel free to just listen. But most importantly, call to mind a loved one who has died for whom you would like to offer this prayer. Let's pray. Requiem aeternam dona eis domine, et lux perpetua luceat eis, fidelum anime, per misericordiam de requiescant in pace. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.